in this episode. Uh, I saw you. Uh, you had a sign you were carrying around. Yes. Um, if you if you want to show that, feel free. So it says, uh, "Want some good news? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners." One Timothy one fifteen. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay. So that caught my attention. Christians aren't perfect. They're sinners too. The only difference is they accepted what Jesus did. They accepted that grace. And now they, they should be living that out by pursuing holiness and righteousness and being com- changed daily to be like Jesus. And I think that it would just make the world a better place. If we have everybody like, like Jesus, this world would be amazing. I'm not really seeing a, a rational answer here. It sounds pretty mystical to me. Like it involves, you've got to believe a a lot of this happens on faith. Okay. So. uh, You're an amazing listener. (laughs) You're a really amazing listener. Well, thank you. I've had practice. Yeah, you're really cool. I'm completely dark now. (laughs) He's still there. (laughs) I'm still here, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Selfishness Project, where we explore the idea of selfishness. Today, I am here with... I'm Joshua. All right, Joshua. So, let me ask you this. Uh, I saw you, uh, you had a sign you were carrying around. Yes. Um, if you, if you want to show that, feel free. So it says, uh, want some good news? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15, repent and believe in the gospel. Okay. So that caught my attention. Um, and I guess since you, I, I guess that means you're some kind of Christian. And Christianity definitely has something to say about selfishness. I think it generally would say selfishness is a bad thing and selflessness is a good thing. Jesus Christ is this symbol of selflessness or self-sacrifice. And he's held up as this morally ideal person that we should all aspire to. Um, So... Maybe we can explore that a little. Um, why, why should one hold Jesus as a moral ideal? Like, why is that something that you think, assuming you do think that we should aspire to be like Jesus, where we're very self-sacrificing, as opposed to living for ourselves? So, if someone just asks you, like, you know, why should I accept this religion's ethics, where I uh, regard sacrifice of myself as a really good thing mm. as opposed to some view where I live for myself, pursue my own happiness, pursue my own goals as opposed to living for others. Do you have any thoughts on that? So if I understand your correct your question correctly, why should a person accept Jesus as the model of uh, selflessness and why shouldn't people just live for themselves in this world. Yeah. Um, well, first, 
I, I guess I would just say first that the the greatest the greatest commandment of the of the new te of the Bible itself is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, or to do unto others what you have them do to do unto you. And with when that when we don't do that, we end up with the world as it is now, with all of its. We we could just look in the news, all of the the, the shootings. Uh, there's a, there's a there's a school shootings. There's uh, corruption. Uh, in politics, it doesn't matter what side you're on, they're, they're on both sides. And that stems from our self-love, that we're not loving others as we do ourselves. Now Jesus was the perfect example of that selflessness. There's a scripture, uh, Philippians uh, 2, uh, 6 through 10, it says that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And on the 13th chapter of John's gospel, Jesus, who's the Lord, who's Lord, took off his garments and washed his own disciples' feet. And he's a, he's, he's a king, he's a Lord, he's God in the flesh, and he washes the feet of sinful men as a model for them to follow and and he completely sh shifted the world's idea of what greatness is greatness in the eyes of the world is you acquire all these possessions you have power dominance your power showed and you, you you having dominion over other people asserting your authority over other people and Jesus who's God in the flesh literally came down and washed sinful men's feet. And he said, no, the greatest of am among you shall be your servant, shall be your slave. And his, his complete system of thinking is completely different from the world, and I think it's the supreme ethic. Okay. So I'm interested in something you mentioned uh, early on in what you just said about school shootings and how in the political situation so there is the the idea is that there are going to be these bad consequences if people don't follow the ethics of Jesus. And I'm interested in why it is that there would be something like a school shooting if people don't follow the ethics of Jesus. Take myself as an example. I don't I don't follow the ethics of Jesus, but I also don't shoot schools up. I think most most people who don't follow the ethics of Jesus also don't shoot schools up. Uh, so why would it be that if, if you don't follow the ethics of Jesus, you think it would be a consequence of that, that there would be negative, there would be negative consequences like school shootings, if, if that's what you were proposing? So the question is, why would some, some, uh, an event like a, shooting, uh, a school shooting occur? Or is it that, um, why should we follow the ethic if not everybody shoots schools, but some, some, some people are you know, law-abiding citizens, they don't shoot up schools, then why wouldn't we need to follow Jesus' ethic if th those, those, those instances are just like, you know, that doesn't apply to everybody, is that right? Yeah, maybe to put it another way is why attribute something like school shootings 
to lack of following Jesus when many people who don't follow Jesus don't shoot, shoot schools mm. up? Why not attribute it to some other cause? Mm. I use that example because that example was sort of an extreme, but then we could go to uh, interpersonal relationships, just something as simple as jealousy or envy or you having uh, or uh, you having a, uh, if you're in a relationship with a woman, a wife, and you have like a lustful thought about someone else's, uh, someone else that's not your wife. Um, Jesus says that that would be adultery. Um, and so, the, and so there's like, there's like little instances like that within relationships, but then there's like these big instances with like school shootings. But it all kind of draws back to why Jesus came, is that we have an issue. And the reason why that there's a shooting, the reason why there's that lustful thought in interpersonal relationships is because we have something wrong with our heart, namely sin. And Jesus came to actually pay for that and then not only give us a model, but give us the ability to, the ability to actually live that out. When we believe in him, God gives us a new heart and the affection, the desires, the willingness to actually carry that out. So that, um, so it's not that we just try to follow the ethics of Jesus. Um, that That's kind of missing, That that's a big thing, but the main thing is that you realize what Jesus did. And in doing so, believing in him, that he, came and died for our sins, God then gives you the, 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 the willingness because we naturally, our hearts don't want God. Naturally, we have an unwillingness to believe in him. We have an unwillingness to actually live that out because that's just our nature. But once we believe in Jesus, God changes our heart. And now we want to be like Jesus. And once we do that, um, God has really put on the same level our, our happiness together with holiness which is just being like Jesus and I think that's ultimately what people are searching for is happiness and God says you can't be happy apart from a relationship with me being as I am and he wants us to be fulfilled and Jesus came to fulfill us in that way um, uh, can we go back to the um the it sounded like you were suggesting that the school shooting and lusting after someone who's not your wife there are kind of two two ways of doing something sinful and uh <coughs> both of those are well I is this the idea that both of those are caused by uh, stepping away or not accepting the ethics of Jesus. And th there may be many other examples as well, but basically all, I don't know if you'd say all sinful things, but many sinful things are, are a result of not accepting the ethics of Jesus. And if that's, mm. is that the idea? Well, not only not accepting it, Jesus says out of the heart comes evil thoughts, adulteries, murders, theft. And so it's really more about heart issues. It's not even, it's not even not accepting it, but it's, it's going even deeper than that. It flows from our very nature. 
our very heart, that at the center of our, our being, our heart, that there's an issue that is infected, as it were, with the disease of sin. And it's because of our hearts that those things, those, those things are just fruit. School shootings, lusting for women, theft. Those are, if you look at a tree, like an apple tree, and the tree grows and there's fruit on it, the fruit is like those, those deeds. But they come from the, the nature of the tree itself. Uh, so if a tree is, is uh, good, Jesus says, then it's going to bear good fruit. If a tree is bad, it's going to bear bad fruit. In the same way, uh, if, we're, if our hearts are, are not changed by God, turning to God, then we're going to only produce bad fruit, no matter what we, d what we try. So it's not only striving to be like Jesus. We need a complete change. And so that's why Jesus said in uh, John's gospel, the third chapter, unless a man is born again, he cannot see nor enter the kingdom of God. And that's basically a, ch a complete change of our nature so that we have new affections, new desires, new hopes. We begin to see things differently. And then you want to, to follow the ethic of Jesus. So it's really more of a, a, a issue of the will and the heart more than it is an issue of um, just a behavior modification. So I can I can see how there are. I, I kind of like the fruit on the tree analogy, and if the tree is corrupt, then the fruit that grows from the tree is going to be corrupt. Mm -hmm. I I have a view kind of like that myself. Um, but then there's there's an issue of you know what is what is it at the root or in the trunk of the tree that is corrupt that's leading to something like a school shooting. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Like, what is it that's gone wrong in the, tr in the tree that leads to the bad fruit of a school shooting? So if we try to trace back, um, what, is, what, what is the cause of this rotten fruit that is a school shooting? Like in a, in a person himself or herself, what is it that's bad about them um, that leads to something like a school shooting or to a rape? Uh, I, I guess there's, well, let me just leave it at that. Do you have any thoughts on, on that? Like if you had to diagnose what the problem is with the tree itself as opposed right. to the fruit? Like what, would, what's, what is it that's gone wrong in the tree, i.e. the person, if we're dropping the metaphor? Uh, yeah, uh, th another scripture that just came to mind that uh, it's in the, uh, the letter to the Romans in the fifth, uh, sixth or fifth chapter where it says that sin entered the world and death through sin uh, because of Adam's disobedience and um, that the whole nature, the whole human race, that sin spread to literally every single human being in the fifth, uh, fifty-first uh, chapter of Psalms, it said David was screaming out to God, "Like I was also in sin, did my mother conceive me?" And so, inherently in our being, our offspring, that that sin nature drops down generation, 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 so that the whole human race, as it were, is has this sin issue. We have this sin nature, so that the things that we actually want are sinful. Jesus says that whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. So we're chained. We can't, we can't choose not to sin. It's just, um, there's a, a lot of talk about free will 
and we're free to choose whatever we desire. But the issue is that our desires are slave. <coughs> oh, okay. Our slave to our our evil our wants our evil desire, so that we can't choose not to sin. So is that the issue is that we're um, we're basically slave to our sin un until that's why Jesus came to set that free, so that once He sets us free from that sin from the power of it, then we actually have the desire and the ability. God gives us the ability to want to do that. Me personally, if I could put it to myself. Um, uh, immoral relationship before I was in the Christian uh, pornography um, uh, anger to st stealing lying to my parents not not honoring them and just rebellious and then afterward afterward I actually <laughs> wanted to I wanted to be like Christ that was like everything and I've seen that I and I had no purpose in my existence I was like what is this and I realized it was in the person of Jesus, and that revolutionized my entire life. So Christians aren't perfect. They're sinners too. The only difference is they accepted what Jesus did. They accepted that grace, and now they, they should be living that out by pursuing holiness and righteousness and being changed daily to be like Jesus. And I think that it would just make the world a better place. If we have everybody like, like Jesus, this world would be amazing. Um. Okay, so what I got from that, at least part of it, is that this, so I was asking now, what is it in the tree that's gone wrong? And it sounded like part of the answer is that the tree is just kind of, uh, by its nature, corrupt. It, we inherit the sin through Adam's sin, and so we're born with original sin. I guess that's the idea. And so we are sinful by nature, and so uh, that's that's the source. So it, it's, but then there's uh, there's still a question of okay, well, why is it that so many people do not commit uh, shootings, yet some people do, a small minority. Is it that, you know, they're, how is that explained? If we're all sinful, because hmm. we all inherit this sin from Adam, why is it that some people do these heinous, murderous acts and other people don't? Like, why are some people really bad and others aren't if we all inherit this sin? Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that? It's like why... So, like, why is someone, like, outward, mor <coughs> who's an outwardly moral person compared to someone, who, let's say, a rapist, but they both sin, the sin natures apply to both of those individuals, but why is there the, distinct, the, the distinction between them? Yeah. Um, well, I... Some people, I guess, do they, I don't know how I would respond to that. Well, I don't want to say anything that's... They just, that's how they decided to, what they decided to do. Um, but in, in God, in God's sight, I mean, like we're, we're all sinners. So it's not like one person is better than the other. It, it kind of puts us on the same playing field in a sense, because, of, so it's like, God doesn't say like, oh, th this person, he sins, a, he sins a, a, a little bit. 
he's a moral person, but he has like these sins. And then there's another guy who's a, a, a rapist. Uh, a good a good example of this would be Jesus in the t in his time. He had the Pharisees and he had prostitutes and sinners. And the Pharisees always were like, Jesus, why this man accepts sinners? And Jesus was like, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, the morally outwardly moral people, they miss Jesus. They Jesus says, I, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. The, the Pharisees did not see their sin. And, and Jesus says, the prostitutes and the sinners, they're coming into the kingdom of heaven before you. Because they didn't realize their sinfulness. And, and the, the Gospel of John, chapter 9, at the end of it, I think verse like four, around 40, it says, I have come so that the, those who are blind would see, and those who see would become blind. Those who are blind are those who have seen their sin and their need for, for Jesus to open their eyes. Those who are blind, those who, who thought that they see who Jesus blinded were the Pharisees because they thought that they were righteous in God's sight and they didn't see their sin and, they didn't see, and therefore they didn't see their need for Jesus. Um, so there's that distinction between the two, but uh, there's, two, there's really two... The, the Bible is very black and white. It kind of puts people in two categories. It's those who, at the end of it, those who think that they're righteous in their own sight before God, and they're trusting in that to stand right before a holy God in their own merit. And then there's those that see their unworthiness before God, cry out for mercy, and accept what Jesus did. But all are sinners, but some realize it, some don't. Okay. So, why, why hold the view that all are sinners? I guess, well, if you have this view that we all descend from Adam, then, and he sinned, and you, you hold the belief that sin can be inherited, kind of like DNA, <laughs> we all, yeah. it, it's like in our DNA, so to speak, um, if, if that's the kind of thing that sin is, but I mean, one question is, uh, is that the kind of sin thing that sin is? Is it something that you can inherit like that? Um, or is it not? And th that's one, one question. Also, what explains the differences? Like, Assuming just for the sake of argument that everyone has sinned some, uh -huh. which I think is a reasonable assumption, whatever your view is, everyone has done at some time something that right. um, is not good. Um, if only you know one choice in your whole life was a bad choice. But um, still, it seems like there are vast differences uh -huh. in the amount of sin or wrongdoing. Uh, to use a term that's a little less religious in flavor, but essentially the same idea, I think. Mm -hmm. There are vast differences in how much sin people do. Mm. Uh, and so I was asking before, well, how do we account for that if we all inherit sin? Mm. And I think you, you said at a certain point, well, maybe some people just decide to sin. Yeah. Know. Again, I'm not sure if that was the best response. I don't. So if I mean that, that would um, 
I, I think that would actually help explain a lot if we say that, well, some people just choose uh-huh. to act in ways that are not good. Uh-huh. Maybe they, they get some kind of sick, twisted pleasure uh-huh. from committing some atrocity. Uh, they get some kind of short-run gratification from doing some heinous crime. Right. <coughs> and um, th- that impels them or motivates them to take these acts, whereas other people, um, they, they, maybe they, they also experience, uh, sick, twisted feelings sometimes, but Mm. they don't act on them. Right, right. Or maybe some people don't even experience the sick, twisted feelings, or at least if they do, to a much lesser degree. Lesser degree. And so they're, they don't have as much temptation to act on them. But I think it, it could help to explain a lot if we just say, well, people make different choices. And because of the different choices people make, they end up acting in very different ways. Some do, some sin a lot more hmm. than others. I think that's, uh, I mean, I find that kind of explanation to be satisfying. Oh, okay. As opposed to just saying we're all sinners. Mm. Because if you say that, it doesn't help to explain the vast differences between people. Mm. If we're all inheriting this sin, mm. why don't we end up acting in much more similar ways than we actually do see people acting? Mm. Um, so I think there might be uh, an explanatory advantage to having this view that crimes like school shootings or rapes are explained not by the inherited thing, which everyone has in common, but rather by the choices that individual people, people make. make. Mm-hmm. Since since we're all w- since we all have this in- inheritance, mm. that doesn't seem to explain the differences very well. So I would attribute it to something else mm. other than the sin. If assuming there is sin that's inherited from Adam, mm. yeah. so that do, do you want to say anything in response to that? Oh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I just come, keep coming back to, well, basically what Jesus says, that if whoever practices sin is a slave, slave to that, to that sin, and, and that we, we, what we choose, we choose what we desire, and in, in James, the first chapter, it basically explains the, the process of sin, that it, first it's evil desire, and then the sinful action itself, and then the sinful action brings about death. But it all stems back again to the heart, that evil desire. So some of us choose to yield ourselves to that, one thing or another. But it's to the point, and some like they they have habit, like habits, deep, like deep root. I wish I read this book. The um, forget what it's called. I'm making it, having a blank, blank, but. They have these habits of like doing wrong, and then it becomes like they're enslaved to it. Like they can't not do it because they've done it for so long that it's like a chain to them now. And the same thing with sin is that when you do it too often, your conscience begins after a while to not feel it anymore, and then you keep on doing it, and then you feel nothing. And then at that point, you completely are just chained to that action. You can't even you can't not do it. And that's what Jesus is saying: whoever practices sin is a slave to it. You can't even choose not to do it anymore. Um, and some, to other degrees, choose differently, but it just really comes back to that heart issue. 
and that's that's why I share it because I want people to know that Jesus died for that because he loved us and he doesn't want us to be enslaved to that sin he he doesn't want there to be this darkness in the world he doesn't want there to be uh, this this chaos and but the but it really comes back down to the will the hearts of people um, even in the face of truth people are unwilling to accept it for that very reason is that our hearts and our wills are enslaved to sin um, in, in John 3 uh, verses 19, 19 through 20 it says and this is the judgment, the light, that being Jesus, came into the world. But people loved the darkness rather than the light, rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works should be exposed. So it's really a love issue too. What our hearts love, what our hearts cherish. We cherish the sin. That's why we do it. And Jesus came to change our hearts so that we actually love righteousness. And I think that that would make the world a better place. That's why. And then he has the supreme ethic. And then if we're all pressing towards that, how much better would this world be? It would be more happiness, more joy, more love and relationships, more full families, uh, more peace, unity. I think the, uh, the issue of free will has been coming up. And it sounds like you're using that to some extent to explain the differences that are between how much people sin yeah people just make different choices which sounds reasonable to me but then i guess the um why why would the solution to i mean isn't the solution to at least part of the solution is people need to make better choices uh why why is part of the solution to accept Jesus mm-hmm. uh like how how does that come into the picture like if i do something bad mm-hmm. let's say i don't know i'm 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 rude to somebody mm-hmm. uh without justification just unprovoked i i i'm rude on the 405 freeway <laughs> <laughs> i cut somebody <laughs> off on the freeway <laughs> <laughs> I had a whole episode about that actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, number two, I think. Uh, so your viewers may not even be able to see me anymore. Oh, <laughs> <I'm like laughs> that's right. Uh, they can rewind if they need to. <coughs> so if if I'm rude to someone on the freeway, huh. uh, then what is the what is the remedy? of that is it to accept jesus or is it just to think through oh look if i'm rude if i act in this kind of way people are not going to like me i'm not going to have good relationships with Mm. people because they're going to see me as a jerk Mm. so my my social relationships are going to suffer as a consequence of acting (laughs) like a rude jerk and that's going to motivate me to act differently Mm. I, I don't see w- why why Jesus is needed here mm. to at least in this case mm. uh, to bring about a change in my behavior. Mm. Why isn't the solution just to think through the consequences of acting like a rude jerk 
and then having those consequences uh, at the front of my mind uh, will help me act differently in the future because I'm going to see, you know, this is harmful. This right. is a harmful way for me to act. Mm. Um, why isn't that sufficient? Why isn't that? Right. Um, and I just keep on going back to it's, it's more than moral reform because you're only dealing with outward behavior. It's just behavior modification, but you d it doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't go to the heart. The reason why you were rude to that person was not is because it flow it flo flowed from the heart. So if we go back to the the tree analogy, the reason why that rudeness came out is because it first arised in the heart. And if you mainly if you only look at the consequences of that action, reflect on it, and then try to do differently, yes, that goes on, that works on the outward level, but you don't deal with the issue of the heart. And that's why Jesus came is because we have, it really comes all back to the heart. The reason why those actions come about like the fruit on the apple tree, the reason why an apple tree produces apples is because it, it's, a, it's an apple tree. It can't produce anything else. The reason why we're rude or are angry or mad or murder is because we have a sinful heart. And Jesus, when he died and was raised from death, and if a person believes in him and they have a new nature, they begin to actually desire different things. From So out of their heart, and Jesus says out of the heart comes evil thoughts. So if your heart is changed by God, then you desire to do good. Now I desire to, uh, what would be an example for this? I used to intern at a bank, <laughs> at Bank of America, and um, if I had a person uh, do do me wrong, I, before, if I wasn't a Christian, I would just kind of want revenge, but I actually, in this instance, the person I'm thinking about, I desire to show them love, and I, in my heart, I know Jesus says, love your enemies, and so I was like, okay, I need to act on, on what Jesus says right here, and so I actually bought a, a pie, a blueberry pie, and gave it to the person. I just shared it to her, and I wanted to show her that I, I cared about her, I loved her. Although she did me wrong, I still wanted to show that love. And in my own, if I wasn't a Christian, if I, God didn't sovereignly give me a new heart, I wouldn't be able to do that. I would want revenge. I would just be like, I'm going to treat her bad. So it's really an issue of the heart. It really comes back down to the heart. The heart needs to be changed. Only God could do that. Okay, so... Uh, so I guess my idea is that you can change the heart if we're going to call it the heart. I mean, or your will, or your that thing that the do volition. Do call it the brain? The faculty <laughs> of volition, the faculty of choosing and willing and desiring and desiring. Whatever it is that our actions flow from. Right. So uh, maybe it's the mind. Um, we make choices with our minds, and then we act in certain ways. Mm. So, my idea, uh, at least one way to change the, the tree, so to speak, is to think, reflect on the consequences mm -hmm. of what we've done mm -hmm. or what we uh, plan to do, um, think about the consequences of our actions, and hold those thoughts in mind. Mm. Um, and that's 
that's a way to uh, encourage uh, change in the future. But it, like, how how does it work? What are the mechanics? If you say, uh, if the idea is like ex only Jesus can change the heart, um, I mean, how how specifically does that work? I mean, we one still might experience uh, temptation now and then to do something that's yeah. not good, to be rude to somebody yeah. unjustifiably, for instance. But why isn't the solution always just to hold in mind uh, the consequences of acting in that way? And then by having those consequences in mind, that will help dissuade you from acting in this bad way. Why isn't that... All why isn't that always a good solution? And mm. I, I don't even, I don't understand how accepting Jesus is supposed to fix things. Mm. Unless that's just another way of saying, hold the consequences in mind. Although I'm not sure it is that. Mm. But um, can you say anything about that? Like just yeah. what are the mechanics of how a person's heart changes but yeah I ha there's an illustration that came to my mind like whack-a-mole i know it's very childish but like you try to whack-a-mole and there's another one that pops up yeah when you do that when you just think about the consequences and just merely do a uh, moral reform just a, a behavior modification you're whacking a mole but you d you never get it the this stinking mole just keeps on popping up because you need to you need to dig that whole thing out and you need to like you need to put some like uh mole repellent in there just like Kill, you have to get at the bottom. Okay, so can we make it less metaphorical? What are you really doing when you're digging out the the tree or whatever? That's really what God does is through through the gospel, through this message, a person is born again, but they must actually turn from their sin, turn from repent, repent meaning you're turning, you're realizing, you're acknowledging that there is sin, that you are a sinner before God. You turn from that, you feel sorry for it, and you believe in Jesus, then God gives you that, it says in John 1, 12, that to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And when that happens, when somebody enters the family of God, they, they believe in Jesus, God gives them that new nature. And as it says in Second uh, Corinthians, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So their heart has changed. God has changed their heart. Once they repent and believe, God changes their heart so that they have those new desires. So that's basically the, the, the uprooting the bad tree and then the putting the new tree. God does that. Because um, we can do that in our, by, in our own selves. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's... That's our greatest need, is our sin. And Jesus paid for that. Um, that's, why, um, that's why I think Christianity is distinctive, is because other religions would ex express that you have to obey these set of rules in order to attain the next life, or you have to do these set of rules. But Christianity is different in that it says that you can't keep these rules. God has graciously given it to you. He, he first of all he paid for your sins because he's just and secondly he gave you the ability to carry out those rules which you couldn't do in yourself and so that's just grace and 
uh, it says, uh, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God so that no man should boast. And so I've, I've seen it a lot. A lot of people kind of turn away from Christianity for the main purpose is that it really strikes the, our heart's pride because we like doing things on our own so that we have the uh, uh, credit or we can boast about it. And so that's why Jesus says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It takes poverty of spirit, really realizing I'm a sinner before God. I don't have merit on my own. I, have, I can't do this. And, and Jesus says, uh, God says, he poses the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, so it's really a matter of person like realizing, okay, uh, okay, I, I'm a sinner. I, God, you're right. Um, I need you. And then God, he's gracious. It says that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's a gracious God. He's, that's one reason I love God is because he's, 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 he's so compassionate, love it, and that he actually sacrificed his own son that he loved for sinners when God literally he he didn't even have to make that sacrifice but he did out of his love and talk, that's the supreme ethic his love and that's uh, so yeah that's so to answer your question it's really a heart issue. We need, we need a, a change of heart, and only God could do that, and that's why he calls us to repent and trust in him. Okay, so I guess uh, I'm not really seeing a, a rational answer here. It sounds pretty mystical to mm. me. Okay. Like it involves, you've got to believe a, a lot of this happens on faith. Um, there's and so if I guess if you don't buy into the uh, if you don't buy things on faith if you don't accept things on faith then um, I, I don't I don't really see why one would accept this view uh, if accept things on faith yeah cause I, it, I mean the, the answer you gave I, I, I couldn't really understand um, a rational mechanism by which someone brings about change in himself it's it was just like you have to um let god do the work it's god's grace and uh so i mean if i don't if i don't believe in god then i mean i'm not going to accept that answer you would have to first uh, convince me of that mm. and then convince me of some other things like um god has this power to bring about change in myself mm. uh, so I guess I don't really find that answer satisfying okay um, um, you, you, you want to re reply well if I understand the, the question that you said it was why is there a need for Jesus if we could merely like think about our the consequences of our actions yeah. and by reason decide to choose different actions that are that are good why yeah. do we why do we still need jesus um 
then I would just ask the questions, why do those bad actions happen in the first place? Why do we do bad things? Why do we do wrong things? In the first place, for there even to be a need that we reflect on our actions and decide to do something separate, do something good. The reason I, the fact that I have to ask that question, why am I doing these things, should make me look deeper. Where is that coming from? I have thoughts on that. So I think often, I don't know about always, but at least often, the reason people do bad things is because there's some short-range benefit that attaches to the wrong action. So, for instance, let's say uh, cheating on your wife. Um, say you're, you have a good marriage, you love your wife, but you, you see this, this other woman who's attractive, and uh, you could get some kind of pleasure, mm-hmm. at least you think you can, by, by uh, having an affair with her. Mm. And so there's something tempting mm-hmm. uh, about, at least if you don't consider the whole consequences of your action, mm-hmm. like the effects it's going to have on your otherwise fine marriage. Mm-hmm. If you don't consider those, if you just kind of tunnel vision are just thinking about this one other woman without considering the consequences, then that can be very tempting. Mm-hmm. And so you ask, you know, what would explain why someone might do something bad? Well, I think it could just be that they're um, they're failing to consider. It takes work and willpower to keep in mind the full context and the long run consequences of your action when you have right in front of you this in itself very uh, appealing thing, this very tempting thing. Um, you have to actively use your mind. You have to choose to think about the consequences of going after this thing. Uh, so I think that could explain why people make bad choices in the first place. They're failing to consider the full consequences of their actions. But, but then I would just ask, like, why would the option to cheat on his wife ever be? A, why would that even be an option? Because it's tempting. I mean, considered at least out of context, there is some value there. If you consider it in light of the full context, uh, I'm assuming in this example, it's not a good thing to do. But it's possible to drop that context and to just go after some desire or we might call it a whim um, out of context without considering the the long-run consequences so we we have to ch- we have to make this choice to consider the the consequences that doesn't happen automatically right and people can fail to do that and when they do fail to do that they will experience temptation through weakness we might call it weakness of will because they have weakness of will um they experience temptations for these to do these bad things right and then they do them but the that we're, the fact that we're even tempted with, uh, in Jesus's ca- case, uh, he says that, it, uh, well, it says of Jesus that he, he was completely pure, pure in, hi- in him there was no sin, and he says that the devil had nothing in him, that, that 
that he he didn't even have the desire he was tempted but he never he never sinned but with us we give we give into that we we sin because we have the, that that nature and so the fact that that's even an option for us in that in that example of the the man with his wife deciding to tr he he sees a really beautiful woman he wants and then he's tempted to to do that and the, if he carries it out the fact that he even carries it out um, failing to consider the consequences doesn't address why he actually committed the act in the first place yeah but of course I mean he could, he could consider it, he could consider it but th that doesn't deal with his heart issue because he might still he may not commit the act of adultery but in this in the same way he still may be with his wife and be thinking about having a re sexual relationship with that woman in his mind and so the desire is still there so he didn't commit the act but Jesus says that everyone who who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart and so again it's just the heart issue uh, that's the need we have a, a issue with the will with our hearts our faculty of, 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 of uh, our reason is is like we could think all we want and that's good we need reason we need understanding yet that does not address our wills our, our the faculty in us of choosing of, of volition of, of desiring that needs to change and that is where sin infects us and that's what we can't change simply by reflecting on our actions and then choosing we it's, it, it takes more than that and Jesus is the only one who could when he came to die he died to save us from the penalty of sin which is the wrath of God because of our sins the power of sin which is that thing that sin that enslaves us he frees us from that so that we could actually have the ability to uh, in my own case I struggled a lot with like gluttony eating um, like I would just eat just to fill myself and like was that when I was sad I would just eat and, and that's not a big thing in our culture but like gluttony is a thing and I was like and I was just eating just because I wanted to feel good and I was like I really need help and praying and seeking God on on it he gives he gave me the power now now I have more self-control in that area now I'm not enslaved to my desire so like when I look at food now I can say I can say I have the power to say no I'm not gonna do this I can I can say I'm not going to be enslaved to my desire to eat food and that power didn't come from myself just by sheer willpower it came from an outside agency working upon my will helping me to actually carry out that action and that's an act of his grace and the fact that I even have the ability to do that now is one of the proofs that gives me the assurance that there is a God who's all-powerful who can give us beings that ability to carry out things that we can't do in ourselves Okay, so uh, you're an amazing listener. <laughs> you're a really amazing listener. Oh, well, thank you. I've had practice. Yeah, you're really cool. I'm completely dark now. <laughs> He's still there. <laughs> I'm still here, guys and gals. Not to be. Uh, the, okay, so you mentioned the uh, reason and will, and I think those are. As maybe you were suggesting, they were kind of separate faculties. We have the faculty of reason and the faculty of will. 
and I think another way to you might think of them as one in the same faculty there's just there's a rational faculty for instance mm-hmm. and that faculty is volitional mm-hmm. so it it the way it acts is as a result of choices at least partly as a result of choices so um i i choose to uh think about the consequences of my actions let's you mentioned gluttony. Maybe that would be a good example to use here. Mm. Um, I uh, so I've experienced temptation with food sometimes, but I I use my willpower mm. um, and my reason. I I I don't know exactly how um, the two interact there, but I've I've thought about the consequences of eating this food, which I don't really need. Maybe it's just out of habit. I, I used to always go to the fridge after I get home from work. Not because I really needed food I did at same, that time. I did the same thing. Yeah. It was just out of habit. I guess it's uh, right. a way of getting some, some pleasure, some immediate sensory pleasure. Right. Um, but then I, I thought about it. And and I, I uh, considered whether I really needed this food or whether I was just doing it out of habit. Um, wasn't because I was really hungry. Uh, and I decided, no, I don't really need this food right now. Mm. Uh, it's just causing me to consume extra calories and you know start to build up a gut, which uh, I didn't want. Um, so then I, I just used willpower uh, after that, maybe it was easier having thought the issue through. Mm. Um, but I just used willpower, mm. um, or willpower plus reason. I'm not sure how to put it exactly, but those those two things I use to change my behavior, mm. and now I act differently. Mm. I, and having done this for many years now, I think I'm in pretty good control. I don't experience much temptation to just indulge on a, eat a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's or something. Uh. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I had a pint that was sitting in the freezer for over two years. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Um, It was, uh, so, so I don't think there's a need to invoke uh, Jesus and say, I need this external power to come into me to give me the strength I need to change my behavior, I mm. found that I was able to just do it on my own. Mm. So, of course, if you're, <laughs> I guess, if you're a religious person, you might interpret that as, oh, Jesus came into you and you didn't even know it. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other discussion. I was <laughs> Uh, but I mean, the way I think <laughs> oh, of okay, okay. the way I think of it is just uh-huh. I exercise my reason, uh-huh. my faculty of volition or will, and that was sufficient to change my behavior. I change. Mm. Maybe uh, I should even say to continue with this metaphor. I changed my heart, or I changed the tree, because now I no longer experience, or at least not to the same degree, mm. this temptation to just indulge on food mm. so it seems like based on my experience you can have success in changing the nature of the tree bringing about different 
desires in yourself over time doesn't happen overnight mm. but through practice through habit you build up a, a different nature aristotle called this the was, that's exactly what i was thinking about aristotle the excellence is not a uh, virtue is uh you know the, you know the quote yeah i'm thinking yeah i'm sorry i don't know the exact quote but uh-huh. i know he had this idea that you you've got your given nature at birth right and then you've got what he called the second nature or whatever the greek for that is which is uh, this kind of character that you develop as a result of the choices you make right during your life i don't know if that's how he's exactly how he thought of it but it's not something you inherit the second nature it's something you you build on your own anyways that's that's the way i think of it oh okay i see i see and oh. so i i think of myself as having changed my second nature oh okay I, there's still some more like parts of my nature which i can't change no matter what like the the dna i have although with gene splicing these days maybe uh. maybe there's a way to even do that but anyways um i think people can reprogram their desires hmm. so it's not just that you're you're stuck with whatever desires you happen to have at a given time hmm. you can think about the the, those desires and what the consequences of acting are on them are and you can use your will to act in different ways because you don't like the consequences of acting on these desires and I think over time as this example that I've just given is meant to illustrate is you can change the desires you have mm. Mm. so I think there's a way to kind of re-engineer the tree so mm. that you, you have different desires you don't experience temptations uh, for things that you used to s- experience temptations mm-hmm. for. Uh, mm. So I think there, maybe another way to put this is you can change your psychology mm. uh, um, to, to make it less metaphorical than just saying you can change the tree. Mm. The idea is you can change your psychology um, or the brains. Maybe you're like, when you... When you're making these choices, you're you're somehow rewiring neurons in your brain. Neuroplasticity. Yeah, the brain has has plasticity, and uh, as a result of these, the thinking you do and the choices mm. you make, mm. I think you 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 cause something to change about your brain structure, mm. so that um, I guess the the kinds of emotions your brain produces through the, its emotional mechanism. It's or its desiring mechanism, uh, or its cognitive faculties. I think that might be the term. Mm. Are different mm. over time. Mm. So you can you can re-engineer yourself. And uh, have you heard of the author Ayn Rand? Uh, Ayn Rand, yeah. Uh, Atlas Shrugged. My, right. my brother likes that book. Yeah. Um, she had this idea that human beings are uh, man is a being of self-made soul. That's the quote. Um, and this is the idea basically you make yourself into the kind of person that you ultimately become through the choices you make through the thinking that you choose to do you come to be a certain type of person with a certain set of desires a certain character a certain personality and everybody makes themselves into the kind of person they become which is not to say there are no external influences, but it is to say that you are you are an influence on yourself. 
um, maybe the most important influence there is on yourself is yourself. You can you make yourself. You're a being of self-made soul. That's that's her idea in any uh. any case, and I think there's there's truth in that. Hmm. So I've been going on for a while here, but that's all a way of saying I think there's there are secular. Uh, that is non-religious explanations that can be given as to how people change over time and re-engineer themselves so that they have different desires. Mm. And so I don't think you need to appeal to anything mystical or supernatural mm. in order to explain how people change or in order to... Um, uh, I don't think that's the solution that you uh, you need to appeal to some su something supernatural in order to bring about change. <coughs> mm. I think you can bring about it change yourself to a large degree at least. I think mm. there's a lot you can do mm. to change yourself. And I think you might even uh I think you are actually better off that way than if you if you bring in the supernatural stuff there's I mean mm. then you can uh I don't think it makes sense, mm. and I think you kind of inject into your psychology all this mystical, irrational stuff that doesn't make sense, and it's going to kind of fog up your your view of the world and mm. cause even more harm, um, mm. which is not to say there's nothing of value in, in religion. I mean, there might be some valuable, like the golden rule, for instance. Mm. You mentioned that earlier, mm. do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think that's it's kind of a common sense uh, piece of advice, mm. and I think there are there are other things like that in in religions, but I think we can we can separate those out from the mystical stuff and all the the stuff that you need to accept on faith. I think you can. Um, so so my, my point here is not that there's nothing of value at all in religion, mm. but, but that the parts that are of value can be kind of uh, decoupled from the mystical aspect of it, in which case you might think it's actually not religious anymore once you've done that decoupling. You can kind of sift out the value. Yeah, I think Thomas Jefferson t took out all the <coughs> supernatural out of a Bible and he just followed the principles. He c he kind of did something similar. Yeah, there's the Jefferson Bible and he, he, I I don't I think the he like crossed out the miracles or something. Everything the supernatural and but just he basically still held on the principles to the, uh, try to the extract them and and apply it to his mm -hmm. Yeah, he he still accepted the altruist or self-sacrificing uh, kind of ethics of Jesus, but got rid of the supernatural stuff. That's my understanding. Or I haven't seen it myself, but I think that's that's what I've heard about the Jefferson Bible. And I guess with that, I would question, you know, why, why, why even the ethics of Jesus should be accepted if if that ethics is an ethics of self-sacrifice? Why not? Uh, oh, oh, okay. Oh, selfish. I'm starting to see Ayn Rand. She a lot of her thinking was based around uh, 
please like why don't we pursue our pleasure right or, or well she, right? she our selfishness i don't, I don't think she would put it as pleasure necessarily but why don't we pursue what's best for ourselves oh okay okay and she called that selfishness right right why, why isn't it good why shouldn't we be selfish oh, man. and she had a uh, unconventional understanding of what selfishness is, and she's actually a big part of what motivated me to do this. Oh this wow! Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. okay, cool. Making okay. Yeah, it's, I Making call this the selfishness project. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, if you watch the intro video on my channel, it's oh, I, I I I talk in, about Ayn Rand and oh, how wow. she influenced this this wow. project. That's so cool. So I think she had a. Uh, I, I basically agree with her ethically. Oh, wow. Whether whether we should use the term selfishness to describe what she was in favor of. Um, I'm not sure that's the best choice of terminology. Maybe it is, but um, I think there are reasons at least to, to um, question that. Uh. But in any case, if we're talking about the substance of her ethical ideas, which is that you should, it's good to live for oneself, uh. I think that's right. And that's that's diametrically opposed to the Christian ethics, where uh, it's we're supposed to live for others, sacrifice ourselves oh, yeah. for others. Oh, okay. Why not? What's wrong with living for yourself? Don't I have a right to live? Aren't I an end in myself? Why should I be slave to somebody else morally? Why should I? Oh, wow. Why do I owe my life to somebody? Else, why isn't my life mine to enjoy and make the most of? Oh, wow, oh, that's I'm starting to make a many, many connections. Well, the, I guess if well, the world as it is seems to be a result of that is that we're naturally selfish, and because of that, we have all of these things wrong with the world right now. If you just live for yourself, I mean, if you seek yourself as, if you're, if you, yourself are the end of your life, I mean, like, we're beings that we are, our souls naturally like want to latch on to something else to fill us, and if we try to latch on to our own self to fill ourselves, we're gonna end up empty, and so like, it's an issue of pleasure too. If I just seek my own selfishness I seek only what's good for myself i don't care about anybody else i don't care about god it's just me i'm gonna end up empty so you're actually hurting yourself in the long run so you're actually your selfishness is actually not selfish it's really damaging to you because you're not an end in yourself god is an end in himself and he gives that pleasure and if you're really selfish you really want what's best for you and your pleasure you would seek it in god because he gives you that pleasure and i think in the end you would just end up empty i think now yeah i think if you just seek your own pleasures you just seek your own possessions you seek only what's good for you i mean i worked in i mean i volunteered in hospice for a time and saw a man dying. Um, the last things that were on his mind were things about his soul and, and about God, uh, his relationship, or about his relationship with God. 
and I think that in the end, if you pr just pursue selfishness, I think you just, in the end, I don't think it's really self, it's not in the, your best self-interest. I think it would be really empty and really damaging to our souls. Because we were made, we're, as Aristotle would put it, we're, we're rational beings, but we're also relational. I think he said that. I'm not sure. I don't. Please don't quote me on that. But we we were made for each other, for community, communion with each other, relationships. I'm an introvert. I, sometimes I like being by myself, but I need people. And if I'm just focused on me, my pleasure, and not care about my family, that's just. I don't think we could live that way. I don't think we're we're constructed that way as as human beings, and especially not living without a relationship with God. I just feel like it's empty. I mean, you can. But, I mean, if you really love yourself, you're going to lose yourself by chasing the world and everything in it and just doing what's right for you. Um, yeah. I'm curious why you think it would you would end up feeling empty I definitely think it's good to have other people in your life, friends and family. Oh, yeah. And Rand, Rand thought it was good to have social relationships, especially romantic relationships. That was one of the top values you could get oh. out of life. She she loved her husband. Uh, so it's... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had an example I thought of. Oh, go ahead. Like if you're in a romantic relationship, let's say you have a really beautiful woman that you're dating right now, and you guys get married, and uh, you guys are both seeking what's only what's right for you pleasure-wise, selfishness, what's right for me is right for me. What if you then decide, let's say 10 years down the line, that you want another woman, and that's what's right for you, and so you do it. You go ahead with that woman, adultery. And your wife, your beautiful wife that you had, she now likes another man. That's what's best for her. That pleases her, and she goes for it too. And then you guys' relationship is completely destroyed now. That just seems, that seems to be the end or the natural, we're going back to the consequences using reasoning to look, to look at the consequences. That's, that's the consequence of just doing what's pleasing to you. Is that you're just gonna have? It's, I just think it ends in just misery. So in this example, to see if I make sure I understand it, you're in a relationship with one woman, and then years later, you meet another woman who you are who you like more. Right. And she also meets uh, the, the woman you were first in a relationship. She meets another guy that she likes more mm. and so you both decide to end your your initial relationship and go off with other partners is that the example yeah but you're married so they get a divorce maybe and then find a new partner each of them yeah or they're in their marriage they both commit this act uh, with the other other person that they want to be with and that happen and that happens now so Ayn's Rand, I think, I think it plays out in a lot of people's. I think what Ayn Rand is doing, she's basically saying, keeping our human nature at, at the status quo and accepting it. We, by nature, are selfish. Let's just do what's selfish. 
because that's what we are and then we'll get our pleasure from that that doesn't that doesn't that 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 kind of it it kind of shows us more so of what we are that kind of just kind of i guess proves our our natural inclination to just do what's right for us uh, again going back to the heart just ca- she's just basically saying our heart is this way okay i'm just gonna work that out and and the 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 effects of that talk about consequences the consequences of that is what we see in the world today you know the divorce rate i think is like like you have a one in one in two chance of getting a divorce and just how the world is right now and politics i don't even care if you're conservative or a liberal it's just on both sides there's there's corruption everywhere but still have you read any of rand's books no, I want to read Atlas Shrugged because I, I actually took a class uh, back at Santa Monica and we're, I was going over moral philosophies and Ayn Rand was one of them, um, among others. And that's why I kind of, that's what I'm drawing from. So my knowledge of Ayn Rand is not extensive in any sense of the word. It's just from that class, so I can't. You, you probably know more of her, her, her ideology, but yeah. Well, one thing I would say about her is that it's it's very important to read her own writings, informing an opinion of her views. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. They are often very distorted by people who present her views. They're kind of caricatured, straw man presentations of them. Okay. That's and and as I mentioned, she has an unconventional view of what selfishness is. So one needs to be very careful in saying she advocated selfishness. If you don't know what she meant by selfishness, okay, you're going to have a, a certain conception of what she had in mind, which is very different what, than what she actually mm. had in mind. At least, so if you're importing, if you just think, well, Rand was in favor of selfishness, and by selfishness, I'm going to understand that to mean what people conventionally mean by it. Mm. Well, then that's bad. But she would agree. Uh. The conventional understanding of what selfishness is bad. She had a different understanding of what selfishness is. So, uh, but getting back to the, um, this divorce example, if, if, if some, if two people decide that they would be more happy overall, in the long run, they, their lives would be happier lives if they split up and went with somebody else, then Rand would say, yeah. On my understanding of Rand, she would say, yeah, they should. Because one should try to achieve as much happiness as one can. One would actually be more fulfilled. Happiness. Speaking of uh, being fulfilled Fulfilled. as opposed to empty. Right. Instead of going through life uh, miserable or... or regretful. Oh, I there was this great chance I had at being uh, happier, and I let that go. Uh. And then, why let? Why is that a good thing? Why, why is it? Why is it bad to um, pursue that greater happiness? She uh. would say it's not bad. It's good. That's what you should do. Oh uh, wow. 
What would be the justification for saying, no, you got to persist in misery or this suboptimal condition? Well, I guess in that, in that example that I gave, I'm pretty sure I, I was, the, the divorced people, the relationship that they got in with the other people, give it another 10 years, they're probably going to do the same thing with another person. And so I think it really comes back to the issue of pleasure where we seek to find our happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction. Um, I think that a lot of people have different means of attaining that same end of happiness. And all, and what I propose present in this is that God is that all satisfying pleasure that could really satisfy our soul, really satisfy us, give us pleasure. And again, he, he a lot in the Bible, uh, holiness or being like God, his character, his, the ethic is equated with happiness so much. It says, blessed is the man that does not walk. Uh, blessed is the man who walks in the law of the Lord. Um, and, and, and if God, if God exists and if God made us, he knows how we work and he knows what will bring us pleasure. And if he says that this will bring you pleasure, this is how you get blessing, then if I actually pursue that thing, then that will give me happiness. But if if you it, cut that uh, out, then you would uh, resort to finding other means of attaining happiness, like <coughs> Ayn Rand's proposal and selfishness, and other means too. Um, but um, yeah. Okay, uh, maybe this is a good time to wrap up. Mm. So, um, thanks for doing this interview. I really, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. This is a, I really got a lot to think about, especially the Aristotle thing and the, the nature, second nature. But yeah, I really, really appreciate your stopping me, Dan, and engaging me. Sure thing.